So we're continuing our series. We are began we began a couple weeks ago going through the book of Ephesians and looking at this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. Um, Albertus Peters, in his book Divine Lord and Savior, tells of a believer who was not well educated but had a deep assurance of his salvation. Everyone called him Old Pete. One day while talking with Dr. Peters, Old Pete said, if God should take me to the very mouth of hell and say to me, in you go, Pete, here's where you belong. Old Pete said, I would say to him, that's true, O Lord, I do belong there. But if you make me go to hell, your dear son, Jesus Christ, must go with me. He and I are now one and we cannot be separated anymore. I think that assurance by old Pete is not just wishful thinking, but it is the substance of solid biblical truth that is communicated all throughout the scriptures. And specifically in this text, in this this book that we're looking at as we engage in the book of Ephesians together. The last couple of weeks, we have been focusing on God choosing his people before the foundation of the world. And we've been looking at um, the, the, the significance of that. And today, I want to focus on the assurance that we have as a result of Christ's choosing, of the Father's choosing. And then, what I want to do is, I want to focus on how that choosing calls us to live out our faith in the world in which we have been unleashed to live out our faith in a way that's pleasing to God. And so my guess is I'm gonna upset two groups of people today. There's always these two camps when it comes to this whole idea of faith and works. And so there's always the grace people who are always kind of like, you know what, you can't, there's nothing, you know, we're solely, everything's by grace and we're always being forgiven. And it's just kind of, it's kind of, a, it's, it's, it's grace taken to an extreme that gives permission to loose living. Then the other extreme is this idea of, of you know, feeling like we've got to do, 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 otherwise God's not happy with us, right? And so we have these two extremes that unfortunately, they are extreme positions, neither of which are biblical. And we need to allow the word of God, not the extreme teachings of other people, influence our view of what God has done for us. And so depending on which side of the fence you stand on theologically, I'm sure to kind of uh, make you feel a little bit uncomfortable today. In fact, if I don't do that, maybe I haven't done my job. I, I like what David Wilkerson said years ago before he died. He said, if you don't preach on grace to the point where people begin to take advantage of it, then you haven't properly taught on grace. Um, and so let's take a look at a deep dive into this text this morning, and let's take a look and see what um, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. Here's our text, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ may be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed 
with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What an incredibly rich text that we see here that Paul writes here. We've just begun this journey through the book of Ephesians, and we see that this book is written or broken down really into two sections. And we're in the first section right now. First section has to deal with chapters one through three, and it's here that Paul is talking about our position in Christ, our standing before God. And you oftentimes hear me kind of really um, allude to this point because I think it's one of those things that we really don't fully understand because we, we, when, we, when we understand who we are in Christ, it really affects every area of our lives. And so it's this understanding of who we are in Christ that Paul will deal with in chapters one through three, solely our, our position in Christ. And as we get to chapters four through six in the, in the weeks ahead, we move from our position in Christ to our practices in Christ. How our standing or how our position in Christ ought to inform and affect the way in which we live our lives. It's important to note that our position in Christ will inform our practices in Christ. You might want to write this down. Our position in Christ will inform our practices in Christ. And our practices in Christ will reveal whether we have embraced our position in Christ. Our position in Christ will inform our practices in Christ. And our practices in Christ will reveal whether we have embraced our position in Christ. In other words, the one who has truly embraced Christ will have fruit in their life that evidences who they are in Christ. So let's just take a look at how secure we are in Christ Jesus. How sure can we be of getting on over to the other side? Because that's kind of important, right? We want to make sure that we have a proper theology on getting into heaven, right? We're putting our, our trust in what the scripture has to say. And so it's important to be informed on what God talks about when it comes to the security that we have in Christ Jesus. Paul writes, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, look, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We were sealed, look, it says, when we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and we believed in him, we were sealed with our good works. We were sealed with our ability to maintain that which God is telling us to do. No, that's not what it says. We were not sealed with our efforts. It wasn't like God said, let me get the motor started for you, and then you go have at it. Good luck with that. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say you're sealed with anything you can do. It says here you were sealed with what? The promised Holy Spirit, who is what? The guarantee. The guarantee of our inheritance. It's not something that we're, it's just not wishful thinking, folks. It is the guarantee of our inheritance. How long does that last? Well, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
It is the promise of what God started and God is gonna complete. How can we have this confidence in knowing? Because it is him who, do, who, wills to, and who does the work in us. He, the Holy Spirit, is the promised guarantee of our inheritance. It's pretty clear. Sealed. Guaranteed. Until we acquire it. Paul will write to the church of Rome, Romans chapter 10, verse nine, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And so we have this idea of what, what, what the scripture teaches is, what does it require? To believe in the Lord Jesus. What does it mean? Not just to believe, his accept, not just accept who he is, but to accept the purpose for which he came, the work of the cross, and apply that to our lives. And he says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul paints a very clear picture here of a God who is committed to carrying you across the finish line. So before anyone inserts a yeah but in there, because all got, we all got a yeah but, yeah but what about this? Can we just celebrate the fact that God is able to secure us? Can we just celebrate the fact that, that the Holy Spirit seals us, that the person of the Holy Spirit is the very guarantee of our complete salvation? It is him who does the work in us. This morning I want to present to you the paradox of this truth. What's a paradox? A paradox is two statements that appear to contradict themselves, but when you look into it, through the lens of the scripture further, both of those reveal the truth of both statements. They appear on the surface to contradict themselves. So as I mentioned, God clearly secures us. We read, we read about that the last couple of weeks. We, we were saved before the foundation of the world. He, he called us, he elected us, he predestined us when? Before the foundation of the world. He says here, he, we, are, we are secure, we are sealed. It is the guarantee, he, the, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our salvation. But here, here comes the yeah buts. Yeah, but what about the person who goes on sinning? What do you do with that? I mean, surely the fact that the Holy Spirit is the seal and the guarantee of my inheritance, it doesn't give me permission to continue going on in sin. Yeah, but what about, what about the one who, who continues to live the same way that they do? Yeah, I understand this whole idea of believing on the Lord Jesus. Yeah, but doesn't James say that even Satan believes and trembles? Yeah, but I, I see what it says, Pastor, but yeah, but something just doesn't sound right. We must understand that belief is not just intellectual assent. Belief is not just something that, 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 that we um, believe intellectually. Many people believe that God exists. 
James, as I mentioned, highlights that even Satan believes. Some even believe that Jesus is God, but have not embraced that belief in such a way that it manifests itself in actions. And so as we look at these, these two truths, because as we're going through Ephesians, a critical eye could sound like, because I know I've been preaching with passion, and I've been like highlighting the fact that, listen, man, don't beat yourself up. God's got you. He's with you. He's going to carry you across the finish line. And I believe that with all my heart, but I don't want anybody to think for one moment that what I'm saying is, that means you can live any old way you want. Because that is the other extreme that is not biblical. And so it's there that I want to hold in proper tension the assurance and the security that we have as believers, the clear declaration that I am sealed in him, that the Holy Spirit is the guarantor of my faith, that he that began a good work in me, he will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. But I also want to hold in proper tension the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus says, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We believed you were God. We believed that we, we, we did all these works and Jesus is gonna say, depart from me. I never knew you. You see, we must hold in proper tension the understanding that true belief will always manifest itself in actions that demonstrate that which we say we believe. To just say we believe is not enough. You've heard me say it oftentimes, we only believe the things that we obey. It's not a thought that, that, that stays just in our mind as intellectual assent, but our belief needs to trickle down from our mind to our, our hearts and carried out in our actions. Not as works of salvation, but, out of, uh, but as fruit of our salvation. As evidence of our salvation. Obedience is the revealer of whether what we say we believe is truly what we believe. Jesus says in Luke chapter four, uh, six and verse 46, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I tell you to do? So this idea of being sealed by the Holy Spirit, who is our guarantee, isn't to free the sinner that continues to keep on sinning. It isn't like to say, oh, good, I'm, I'm good to go. I'm going to keep on going. But it's to the saint that recognizes that their new position in Christ calls them to live like Jesus. And to that one who has truly embraced Christ, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your salvation. It's a promise. It's sure, and it's unconditional why? How can, I, how can I say that so dogmatically? Because it's God who's at work in you. And the way in which I will know, not secure, but know that it's God at work in me is the way in which that work is seen in my daily life. 
How much is he a priority? How much is he on my mind? How much am I, is this about my actions? Is it about my perfection? Or is it about my direction? Am I looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, or is it just something I try to make convenient or work into my lifestyle? Your actions don't secure your salvation. Your actions reveal your salvation or not, right? And to this group that Jesus is saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I tell you? And this group that Jesus says, I, I don't know who you are. Why? Because their actions revealed that they never knew him. John, in, in his epistle, will say, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they'd still be with us. In other words, it's the follow-through. It's not about the one who, who drops the ball here and there. I've had seasons in my life growing up. I've been in the church for 40 two years almost now, 41 years, and, and I've had the roller coaster ups and downs, and, and I look back at my life and think, there's no way that I was the one holding on to God. Clearly, God was the one holding on to me, right? So I've had those ups and downs in my life, and it wasn't those, up, those ups and downs didn't disqualify me from Christianity. It actually proved the fact that God had a hold of my heart because no matter how far and how intentional I ran, God had me. God would bring me to the end of myself. While salvation is the work of God, and this is, this is the tensions, that, the, the, the healthy tension we need to kind of create here. Salvation is the work of God. The blessings that flow from that salvation are tied to your obedience. The blessings that are tied to that salvation are, are, are tied to your obedience, that flow from that obedience are tied to your, uh, to your obedience. Excuse me, I'll reword that again. <laughs> While salvation is the work of God, the blessings that flow from that salvation are tied to your obedience. Not every Christian is experiencing the fullness of God's blessing in their lives. There's a lot of Christians that are just, they love, you know, they love Jesus, they're, 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 they're saved, but the problem is they're kind of like in and out and they're not walking in the blessings of God and the obedience of God. And so they're not receiving all that God has for them because the reality of it is as we are, as, as we are moving out in Christ, they're, they're, they're loving him. They're, they're, they're being convicted by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is letting them know this is not consistent with who you are in Christ. And they come to those moments and they repent and God, I'm so sorry. And they truly mean it. Only to go back and do the same thing again. And it's like those ups and downs. And if the problem with that is you, you don't fit in in the world and you, you really don't fit in in the church in the sense that you're experiencing the fullness and the blessing of what God has for you and you're like in this limbo stage. And there's so many Christians that are there. And, and, and so we need to understand that our salvation, as we put our trust in Christ and our belief in the work of Christ, the Holy Spirit seals us and the Holy Spirit is the guarantor of our salvation. And now as we move out, if we wanna walk in the blessings of God, we need to walk out in obedience. As we see the scriptures, there's a lot of what we call if-then statements. If you do this, God will do that. If you will walk this way, this will be your reality, right? 
I'll give you a couple examples. Psalm 37 and verse four, the psalmist writes, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. There's moments in the Christian's journey where they look and say, wait a minute, that's not my reality here. I don't feel like God has given me any of the desires of my heart. I don't know which way I'm supposed to go. I, I keep saying, God, listen, this is the direction we're going. Would you follow me? And that's not where the blessing is. The blessing is not in God following you, but you following God. Delight your, and my question to them would be, are you delighting yourself in God? Are you committing your way to the Lord so that the response of God or the, 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 the reality of your obedience to God will allow you to experience the blessings and goodness of God in your life? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your, make your, path, your straight paths. But God, I don't understand why you're doing it. And it's, you know, you know, why, why should I obey in this area? It doesn't make sense to me. Do you realize, God, we live in 2022. Like, why would I have to obey in this area? I really think that this is the way I should be able to go. God, you need to understand where I'm coming from. No, you need to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways... Would you acknowledge him? And here's what happens. If you will do that, then I will direct your paths. I will lead you, and I will bring you into the fullness of what I have for you. Isaiah says, you will keep him in perfect peace. Oh, who doesn't want that, right? Whose mind is stayed on him. Oh, hey, hey, I, I'm busy, Lord. I, I, I can only give you this much, right? No, no, no. You want to walk in perfect peace? Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. If you will keep your mind fixed on God, you, then you will experience that perfect peace. I'm not saying you won't have difficult times. I'm not saying that hardships won't come your way. But even in the midst of the storm, you will have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Here's a passage we all love and hold dear. Second Chronicles chapter seven and verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Oh God, do you see what's going on in the world today? Do you realize, God, how, how decadent and how sinful and how far, who do they think? And we can get this posture, but what does God say here? If my people, who's that? That's us. This passage isn't directed to sinners. This is directed towards God's people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and will pray and seek my face and turn from their own wicked ways. Before you start looking at the wickedness of the world, let's look at the wickedness within the church. If you will deal with that, then God says, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive your sin and heal their land. If you will do this, I will do that. Jesus says in Matthew chapter six and verse 31, therefore don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you have need of them 
but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Lord, I just don't feel like you're meeting my needs. God, I don't know why I'm, you know, I just look around at what everybody else has and I find myself wanting. And, and, and really what, what he's talking about here is obviously the things that we eat, the things that we drink, the things that we wear. It's the cares of life. And you know, I see the church so concerned about the cares of life. But look what Jesus says. Listen, here's the key. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. You see, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all of your needs will be met. If you do this, God will do this. Last one, Matthew chapter six and verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now, people have a real hard time with that. You think, what do you mean God's not gonna forgive me? I didn't say it, Jesus, that's in red. And for that Christian, he says, I, I don't know, something's just not right. I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm firing all cylinders in my walk with God. I feel like sometimes when I approach God, there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect and, and I don't know what's going. Well, do you have unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody? Because if you have unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody, that is going to create a breach, a break, right? You're not gonna experience the forgiveness of God. And, so, and that's not salvifically, but in, but in our daily experiences of, of, of forgiveness. And so if, if you will forgive, then you'll be forgiven. You get the point. There are responsibilities laid upon the child of God to walk in obedience that are not set aside because we are his workmanship. We need to hold in proper tension that which God calls us to as well as the, the fact that he is the one doing the work. I, always, I oftentimes say we need to live our lives like this whole thing of salvation depends on us, but sleep at night knowing that he is the one that is keeping us. I remember, I'll never forget the day I was walking through a very busy parking lot with my, my, my son when they were very little and we were holding and they're holding on to my, my, my hand. You see, they thought they were holding on to my hand, but you know what? They weren't holding on to my hand. If a car came in a direction, they'd realize very quickly who was holding who, right? They weren't holding on to me. I was holding on to them. And as I look at my, the trajectory of my life, I can recognize that I have not, I have not been the one who's holding on to God. God has been holding on to me. Now, the biggest pushback that people have to the teaching on the security of the believer is the fear that people will take advantage of God's grace and live any way they want. They'll even coin the phrase of all oh, those of those people, the, the one saved, always saved group of people. Anybody hear that group of people? Uh, that is not what I'm advocating. That is a complete um, distortion of what the scripture teaches. The, the, the scripture does not give this freedom to live the way you want because, hey, once you're saved, you're always saved. You have nothing to worry about. That's the problem when you have extreme positions speaking into and influencing your perception of God. We need to allow the word of God to be the thing that does that. 
And Paul will put in, in the right perspective on, on, on that as we get into the, the, section, the second section, as we get into the, the practices of Christ. Right now we're focusing big time on the position of Christ. And so don't think for one moment that we're only gonna park on the position and not get into the practices. But those are a lot easier to understand, the practices of Christ are a lot easier to understand when we embrace them and view them through the lens of our position in Christ. First and foremost, we must know who we are in Christ so that we can rightly live out these practices that we're called to. As we saw last week, Paul brings them back to a time before time began, and he says that even before the foundation of the world, God chose for himself a people that he predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Listen, in the end of the day, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how God does that. I, there's, I'm looking forward to the day where I kind of like get into eternity and get a better grasp on what all that meant and how that all played out, but, but I'm just way too limited in my thinking and my understanding of how that's carried out. But I do know this, this is what the scripture says. And so when that's what it says, I need to bow my intellect or lack thereof to what the scripture says. Look, it says here, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of your glory. No, that's not what he says. To the praise of his glory. Because it's all about him. Our salvation is all about the glory of God. Look what happens to the one who hears and believes the word of truth. It says they, they, are, they are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. There's no stronger words that Paul could use to communicate the security of the believer than pointing out that it is the work of the Holy Spirit to seal us in Christ and it is the person of the Holy Spirit, the, the third person of the Trinity, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. I, I, I'm, I'm belaboring this point because we need to understand that we, as we will read later on, are his workmanship, and he is the one who's going to complete that work in our lives. You see, the one that truly has a possession of faith is not looking to see what they can get away with or how close to the line they could live. Their position in Christ drives them to live a life in obedience to God. And I've seen so many Christians, and so have you, people who, who, who love the Lord, who, who, who've had these ups and downs, and it's kind of like you think, man, life doesn't have to be so hard. Would you just finally surrender fully over to them? And, they, and, they, and, they, and again, they, they, they want to serve God, they love God, and the reality is a spiritually dead person doesn't want to desire or, or, or doesn't love or desire God. So I recognize the fact that they may be saved. They're just not walking in the blessings that God has for them. And so it's this idea of not looking to see how close to the line we can get. It's, it's realizing that, that my, my profession of faith needs to be demonstrated and seen 
and a loving heart that pursues God. Imagine the, imagine the night before your wedding, your fiance asks you this question. How many people can I date and still be married? Like, where's the line? How many, one, two, is there a time span in which that can happen, right? How many, where, where, where or, or this one. How far can I go in my relationships with the opposite sex while still remaining married? Imagine that conversation the night before your wedding, right? Or how, how committed do I really have to be in order to stay married? Like, I know we're kind of, you know, tomorrow we're gonna be crossing the line together, but just, you know, just let's be clear. How serious do I really need? Could you imagine having that conversation? I mean, hey, there's 365 days in the year. Do I have to be faithful to you every single one of those 365 days? Could you, nobody would ever want to engage in marriage with somebody like that. That person's getting married in their head, but not in their heart. They don't believe in marriage. They believe in the idea of marriage. If they believed in marriage, they'd experience and celebrate the joy of being faithful, to being committed, to being all in. And I'm gonna tell you, I know a lot of Christians who are really excited about the idea of Christianity, but listen, hey, pastor, hey, business is business, pastor. Hey, listen, I don't wanna go too far with this, right? I don't wanna be a zealot, or I don't wanna be, like, I don't wanna be a fanatic. Really? Well, then don't get married. Right? And, and, and because Jesus said, listen, anybody who puts their hand to the plow and looks back isn't wor worthy of me. And so for the Christian who goes, ah, you know what, I just, I, I love God, I'm just gonna do my own thing, I question whether they've truly embraced Christ as their savior. The whole, the whole book of Hebrews is written to an audience of people who, who, who embraced the community of Christ because it's a cool community. They embraced the community of Christ, they just didn't embrace the Christ of the community. And Paul has some harsh words for that group of people. John does a really wonderful job under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit on presenting or holding in proper tension these truths of, of how our, our faith or how our works don't secure our faith but are the fruit of our faith. And we see a great um, example of that here in First John chapter two. John writes this. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you might not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. I love that word, big $5 theological word, propitiation, what is that? It means Christ absorbing the full wrath of God. I love what Pastor Frank said this morning, Jesus emptied, or the whole, wrath, the whole cup of God's wrath was emptied out on Jesus so that we didn't get the cup of wrath, but instead we got the cup of blessing. And you see, what God does and what Jesus did in the cross is he absorbed the full wrath of God that was directed towards us and turns that wrath into God's favor towards us. You talk about a change in disposition before God. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but, for also, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
Look what he says. These are written that you might not sin. I love that. These, these things, the scripture, these are written so that you might not sin. In other words, you don't have to sin. There's not, the devil doesn't make you do it, right? You don't have to sin. These are written so that you might not sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous God, knowing our frame, knowing how frail we are, knowing that, 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 that we're gonna drop the ball along the way has provided us hope in Jesus Christ. If these are written, you might not sin, but if you do sin, it's not over. Such great news, such freeing news, such hope that is communicated to us in our frailty. But before anyone takes that great news as permission to live any old way they want, John qualifies what he's saying by adding to this text, by showing the other side of the same coin. Without negating that very truth, John will say this, next verse, and by this, we know that we, know that we have come to know him. How? If we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So we see John is saying, listen, you're gonna mess up. You're gonna drop the ball. I write these things that you wouldn't sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But before anybody takes advantage of that, let's take a moment here. Here's how you'll know you know him. If you just take great comfort in that and continue on going sinning over and over again, the question is you really don't know him at all. John says you're a liar and the truth is not in you. So what's the big idea? what's being communicated in this, in this text of scripture. And, and again, I've I wanted to kind of, I've spent a lot of weeks presenting the importance of, of embracing and, and, and rejoicing over the security and the assurance that we have as believers. But I also want to hold in proper attention the responsibility we have to live holy lives, to reflect Jesus in the world around us, not to secure our salvation, but to validate our salvation, to show that we've been saved. What's the encouragement that Paul is giving to the church at Ephesus and all of us who are in Christ? Christianity is embracing Jesus in such a way that it influences us and redirects everything in our lives. Our Christianity doesn't just become something that we do on a Sunday morning, but it impacts, it, it impacts and influences everything we do, everywhere we go, every relationship we, 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 we extend ourselves into. It influences everything. This belief in Christ manifests itself in us living for and living like Christ. It's being all in on God. And for the one who genuinely strives to honor God and trips up along the way, I want to encourage you and say, don't beat yourself up. God doesn't want you to walk in guilt and shame and run from him. No, he wants you to run to him. That's why Christ came. You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
I love that song we sang before. I let go of all of those things. All I want is you. You see, the posture of the true Christian is letting go of anything that gets in the way of my hot pursuit of Jesus Christ. God will never tire of you. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit whose very person is the guarantee of your salvation. Past, present, and future. That's an unconditional promise from God. And it's unconditional because it is God who is at work in you and through you. You're his son. You're his daughter. Paul will mention that in verse five of chapter one. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. We've been adopted into the beloved. We've been grafted in. We've been brought in. Let's get real practical here. My sons, your sons, daughters, whether biological or adopted, they are yours. That will never change. There's nothing, there's nothing, think of it, there's nothing that my kids could ever do that would make them not mine. I might, there might be times where I don't want to, you know, <laughs> take blame for them. No, I'm kidding, guys. But there's nothing that they can do that would change the DNA of who they are because they are mine. And see, we have been adopted in the beloved. You are his. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing that you, you can't jump out of his hand. Your obedience, as good as it may be, isn't good enough to keep you in the good graces of God. There is no line that you can cross that is going to um, disqualify the work of Christ in your life and, un, and unrelease the sealing of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're on the inside. You know somebody. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Don't get discouraged. Don't get complacent. Don't count yourself out. Don't beat yourself up. Remember that he who began a good work in you, he'll complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Live and obey like everything depends on you. But sleep at night knowing that it is God who is carrying you across to the other side. And where those start and stop, I don't know. But the reality of it is, these are both truths of Scripture that are woven all throughout the Word of God. On the surface, they seem to be a contradiction, or, or, but instead they are a paradox. Two truths that appear to contradict, but completely are in agreement with one another when you study them out in the wholeness. Our goodness and our acceptance is on the grounds, not of our obedience, but on what Christ has done for us. You were chosen before the foundation of the world. You were predestined, you were called, you were sealed. And the Holy Spirit is your guarantee work that he began in you. And so let's live lives that reflect what Christ has done for us and rejoice in that salvation. Understanding our position in Christ fully is what will inform us and empower us to, to live out the practices of what he'll talk about for us in chapters four through six. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would, um, uh, it's just, Lord, would you just 
take my feeble attempt at trying to communicate this truth and Lord, would you allow it to land in the hearts of your people in a way that would bring forth fruit, that you'd meet each person where they're at today and that they would find encouragement and hope as well as conviction and challenge in their heart, but mostly that it'd be caused them to look to you, the author and finisher of their faith. We thank you, we praise you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.